Support for Rule Breaker Investing comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life, and that's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully, so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. And thanks to Slack for supporting The Motley Fool. Slack is a collaboration hub that lets you organize your team's work into channels where everyone is included, relevant information is in one place, and new team members can easily get up to speed. Learn more at slack.com. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. And welcome back to this special edition of Rule Breaker Investing Podcast. I mean, I like to think that every week is a special edition, but even if that's true, this is an even more special edition. And I did foreshadow this toward the end of last week's time together when I mentioned we wanted to dig back into the annals, the vault of our radio past and pull some clips that now looked at in the light of day more than a decade later might have anything from high insight to low humor associated with them. And so I had to go back, bring my brother Tom back to the show, and our producer, longtime producer, Mac Greer. Ageless. Ageless, Mac Not Greer. True. And these days, you know Mac as a host on Market Foolery, among other things. He does a lot of things around the Motley Fool. But Mac, back then, what were what was your job? I was a producer uh, hired in 1998. We had a live three hour AM radio show every Saturday. Remember, I'd come in and we'd go have breakfast at La Madeleine and we'd have what, in theory, was kind of a planning prep meeting. Um, <laughs> and then we'd tape it in a conference room and it'd get really hot and we'd open the windows and you could hear sirens and all that. Sometimes we'd have callers and sometimes you guys would put me on air and ask me about my book report on Fairfax. How many times were you fired, Mac? <laughs> I was fired. Um, when did that kick in? That kicked in. South Park. Yeah. yeah that was Kenny right around was dying South Park. every episode. Every episode. When and Kenny I, was dying. And fired and by some famous of... people. Uh, Jesse Jackson fired yes. me, which was great. That was probably the high point of my career. So. In that era, but a man who is point. dedicated to creating jobs out there. Exactly, I'm about to create a job another from one. you. <laughs> yeah. Let's create another one. That's right. So we did. One. We did the AM show for three years, <laughs> and then we did the NPR show for four years. So we did the AM show from '98 to 2001, NPR from 2002 to 2006. Were we rule breakers back then? Sure, in, we were. in audio. Sure, were we, we were. audio rule breakers. I think was the earth shaken when we were born? I would say so. I think that's think? probably right. I think I think we were probably ahead of our time, but then sometimes I think we were behind our time. And if you're so far behind your time, then maybe you're almost ahead of your time. I like that. Does and it come you, back around? I like that very much. And would you say that the <laughs> clips that we're going to hear during this show really effectively communicate how, I sure how so. rule-breakerly we were? I sure hope so. I mean, that's there great. were not many national radio shows on AM radio or NPR that would feature Jeff Bezos, and then we would have Soupy Sales. That is true. That just didn't happen in other motley. places. About as motley and as it so, gets. And that really is what we're going to be doing. So, this is this time together this week, this is experimental. This could be dangerous. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to play clips. Mac, you have brought, you've queued them up. Tom and I don't even know what you've brought to, to, to the table. But we're going to go over each one of these, reflect, think. We're going to hope to educate, to amuse, and to enrich, possibly. There will be more amuse than a regular 
episode of Rule Breaker Investing, we'll find out. Lower what the bar, of, please. Given the danger, what sorts of activities should you not be participating in while listening? Tom, this is a question clearly that you need to answer okay, of your own. Well, I mean, I would say uh, choose the autonomous vehicle. I think that's right. Heavy machinery. Don't don't operate it. <laughs> Sounds like a good uh, safety stance. I, I would say don't don't be outdoors working on cleaning the gutter right now. I think yep. that would be a mistake. Okay. That's good. 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 Okay. Good. Well, sounds like we're ready. And you may right. doze off unexpectedly for a few of these. So. I sure hope not. All right. So this is called Blast from the Radio Past. This is Volume One. If our Rule Breaker Investing listeners like this show. We will be happy to bring this back from time to time because there is a deep. Am I right here, Mac? A deep vault of audio gold. I would. I would say there's a deep vault. I would end the sentence there. <laughs> so there's a deep, deep vault. There's and, a vault. And what we have pretty much on on every show we've done, we have a more business centric interview with a CEO or business leader. Sure. And then we have a celebrity human interest interview. That was always near and dear to my heart, and I, and I will I will spoiler alert I will say that that may be the part of the show that didn't always work. My reach exceeded my grasp, or is mm. it the other way around? I don't know. So, you created it, memories. That that's one way of putting it. And I we're like about it. to create some more. <laughs> so Mac, without further ado, we're going to go with clip number one. What do you have for us? Okay, what I have is um, in one of our early shows. This was back in 1999. We had then new CEO Jeff Bezos of Amazon. Amazon was a very new public company. And um, he's going to talk about what Amazon is and, I guess, what Amazon isn't. What is the promise that Amazon.com has made to people using the service and buying products uh, from you over the last couple of years? What is the promise that you have to deliver on to build your brand? Well, I think what we're trying to do is be Earth's most customer-centric company. And so it's a whole bunch of uh, little things that add up and some big things. But, but if you can be a customer company, and sometimes people ask us, are you, are you a, a book company or a music company? Or now are you a toy company? Or and we're none of those things. We're, we're, we're trying to be a customer company. And you can sort of uniquely do that well on the Internet because of the possibilities for personalization uh, and you know, putting each individual customer at the center of your universe. And if you can do that, you'll have something completely new. And that sort of you know, customer-centricness, the service, the experience, so I guess another way to say it is starting with the customer and working backwards. Okay. If we can be known for that, uh, th- that allows us to do a lot of things for customers. So, guys, this is back when I thought of Amazon as Earth's biggest bookstore. That's what my mouse pad said. I still have that mouse pad. Yeah, this was early days, wasn't it, Mac? He was mentioning toys. I don't think they'd gotten to many of the other categories, but had broken out of books, music, videos. And I guess when I think about that, Tom, I just think, you know, wow, he he fulfilled on the vision that he had right back there in 1999. I mean, here he is, 19 years later, crushing it. I would, I would guess that if we were to interview him or listen to an interview with Bezos today, he would be saying almost exactly the same thing. Although, he's now understood, and that is played out in a way that makes sense to everyone, rather than being predictive, as it was back then. But the principles have remained the same for Amazon all the way through. It's amazing. It is amazing. Each individual customer, he said, at the center of the universe. Now, only one of us purchased Amazon and held it all the way through at this table. It's There's true. only one of us. 
In fact, I've taken a single action on Amazon in my life. I shorted it in caps and made 20%. <laughs> that's it. That's the only... It is, it is the worst... I think Buffett said this about Bezos and Amazon as well. It is the worst oversight of my investment career. It literally lives up to so many of the principles that um, that I have as an investor that I learned from David, that I learned from our dad, uh, and, and uh, there it is. And Mac, at least you purchased Amazon along with Dave a couple so of Mac, years ago. A couple of years ago, you a shareholder. Though, I mean, I remember. I never, even though we interviewed Bezos three or four times in the late '90s, we interviewed him in 2002. That was the last time we interviewed him. But I never even came close to buying Amazon because I was conventional wisdom personified. And the knock on Amazon is they're never going to make a profit. And and it's it's probably hard for people to remember this, but back in the '90s, the question wasn't like how big was Amazon's profit going to be or not be. The question was, is Amazon going to survive? Mm. Will Amazon be a going concern? There was no there was no definitive they used consensus. A lot of debt, right? And some people thought they're not going to make it. It's so hard to wrap your head around that idea. And I was in that camp. I had eBay, and the line on eBay was, it's got a lighter business model. And everyone was the eBay of something. And I'm like, why would you buy Amazon when you could own eBay? Well, and don't kick yourself too much, Mac, because Let us we, couldn't, we, couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't actually know or understand that there would even be something called a cloud one day or that Amazon would go that direction. So there, there was no way to connect the dots to 2018 from that interview or from what we were all thinking looking forward then. One thing we could do, I guess, is say this is a visionary guy. And this guy's ambitious, and he's creating a great company. We could definitely have said that, but it's it's only increasingly true of investing today, isn't it? That we really don't know where the next next technology is coming from and how things are going to morph. So but you got to be ready so how, for it. How did you know then? Because there was a Barron's article in the last two years that said, uh, you know, Amazon. Well, no one bought it and held all the way through, and it was like, well, actually, <laughs> funny. Well, I don't read Barron's, so maybe it's no one who reads Barron's. Hot spots. Okay, take them down. But I mean, uh, what is it that caused you? And you could just say it's my principle of finding something great and just holding it indefinitely, or you could say I was reaffirmed by this or that. What 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 were yeah. one or two of the things that caused you to hold? Well, and I think it goes this, right to rule breaker investing, and then we should probably go to clip number two. But briefly, Tom, and you know this already, but basically, what you were buying there was you were buying a top dog and first mover in an important emerging industry. The important emerging industry was e-commerce, and you definitely had the company that was out front. And it's not easy to get a company to be public and get out front of something that that big mm. and be that young. They went public very quickly as a company. They did. Um, we got that, it sub billion, the, does, sub 1 billion. Sub 1 billion, yes. And does anyone and and relatively early in their um, in their life as a as an entity. Exactly. Because their growth rates were so rapid uh, um, in, in, on the top line. Yeah. So does anyone here at the table? I know we got so many other clips. So does anyone here at the table know what percentage of Amazon Jeff Bezos owned when they went public? <sighs> I'm gonna go with. I like the long I'm gonna go with sigh, long sigh. Twenty three percent. I'm going fifty. The answer is forty one percent. All right, good. So wisdom of the crowds. Twenty three plus fifty divide by two. So we there are maybe a few it. factors that all match up with some rule breaker principles of yours, which is you know, hey, a young, dynamic, visionary founder who owns a very large stake, getting out ahead of a major trend, and you ride along, and some of them won't succeed, but the ones that do could, and likely do, succeed so fantastically that mathematically, you get ridiculously great. You returns. bet. 
Mac, thank you. That was a great clip. What's number two? What do you got for us? Okay, number two, I want to um, go to another Amazon clip because it's interesting because it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows, as we know in the early years. Um, Amazon sold off sharply a number of times, including the year 2000. So this is Jeff Bezos talking in a 2000 interview we did about the market sell-off. How has the market changed? Why has Amazon.com and its shareholders been a little punished? Well, I think the whole sector has been, uh, you know, treated roughly, and I think maybe very appropriately. You know, it, if you look at 1999, 1999 was a year where a, a startup company could raise $60 million in venture capital mm-hmm. with a single phone call and then spend half of it on television advertising in a single quarter. Mm-hmm. That is probably not rational and healthy for the market to support that kind of activity. You know, one of the time-honored traditions of investors is to play the role of skeptic. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're seeing a much healthier, uh, uh, you know, we're seeing that happen today in a much healthier way. Okay. And, and, and if you look at the long term, and I know that you guys at Fool.com share our approach to this. If you look at the long term, the longest period you can measure Amazon.com over is the three and a half years that we've been a publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. And our stock is up a factor of 20 in that period of time, mm-hmm. even after you know falling three quarters off of its 52-week high. Mm-hmm. So we're very proud of the returns we generated for our long-term shareholders. And uh, you know we wish that the, the, the stock chart you know, slowly and continuously moved up and to the right in a straight line. That would be the best for everybody. Right. But no unfortunately, need- that's not how stocks work. Wow. So, Mac, that was that was late 2000, right? Yep. Yeah. Because having held the stock from when we bought it for the full portfolio back then, our free portfolio at fool.com, at $3.21, it hit a high in 2000. Three years later, of ninety-five, and that's kind of what he's speaking to. He said it's down three quarters from that point. So we watched it go from three to ninety-five, and then it would touch down as low as seven about a year after that interview. Uh, and the rest is history. It's it's gone up more up and to the right, as Jeff mentioned since then. Uh, here are the first few sentences of Amazon's letter to shareholders that year. Awesome. To Wait, our, Tom, Tom, are you bringing some research to this podcast? To our shareholders. <laughs> I have some data, too. To our shareholders. Ouch. It's been a brutal year for many in the capital markets and certainly for Amazon.com shareholders. As of this writing, our shares are down more than 80% from when I wrote to you last year. Nevertheless, by almost any measure, Amazon.com, the company, is in a stronger position now than at any time in its past. Mm. So, you have humility, tough year, optimism, Belief in the future, long and term, long term, exactly. Mac, I'm I'm going to put you on the spot with a little bit of data. Um, what do you think Amazon's sales growth rate has been since that time? And what do you think their stock has returned? Oh gosh, since they came public, the stock has returned a lot, and the sales. <laughs> so wrong. Let's see, <laughs> sales. Oh shoot, twenty. 20%? I don't know. Okay, that's good. Uh, the answer is Amazon sales have grown 43% a year since wow. they came public, and their stock has in returned. In 1997, and their stock has returned 36% a year. And it really is just a lesson for all of us as investors that over long periods of time, sales growth is a pretty important indicator for creating value, and Amazon has had it in spades. That is astonishing, Tom. Awesome research. I didn't realize 43% annualized sales growth over 21 years. Yes, insane. And 36% investment returns. Actually, I won't. I won't. 
we'll do this for another rule breaker podcast, but you look at companies like Netflix, they're doing the same thing. 35% sales growth, 45% investment returns growth since they came public. So um, sales is a is a is a very good indicator of value creation if you're looking out ten to fifteen to twenty years. Before we move on, Mac, I'm assuming we're about to say goodbye to Jeff Bezos on this week's podcast. We are. We're moving to stranger places. To Netflix. To ah, the aforementioned okay. well, not Netflix. That okay, nice. But um, when was the last time you booked Jeff Bezos for the Motley? Fool? Yeah. What we? What, yeah. I mean, I, I love the clips from 18 years ago. You, Where's Bezos been you, at Fool.com since? If you he's, can't get him on the Rule Breaker podcast in the next six months, Mac, that's good. He's a tough guy. And in my defense, he was on 16 years ago, January 2002. So you know, 16 nice. plus. So okay, you know, good. it hasn't been 18 years. So really, once they started taking <laughs> off 16. as a stock again, they just <laughs> yes, they, just, they didn't take Max calls. And the same is true for Reed Hastings. We haven't interviewed Reed in. Um, a ah, of years. I sense a, a transition line because we're about to hit the next clip. That's true. CEO Reed Hastings, Netflix. Is that what you Correct. have? Correct. Yes, this is from 2003. So they are a new public company, and he is talking about his um, goals for the future. Our focus over the next uh, four to seven years is how do we get to a billion dollars of revenue? How do we get to 100 to 200 million of free cash flow? And it's about the 5 million subscriber or 5% of household penetration. If 5% of American households subscribe to Netflix, we'll get there. So, for those of you scoring at home, Netflix, US households want to kind of just ballpark the penetration these days. Mm. It's I would say that there 5%. are yeah, I'd say there are 110 million households, and I'm going to say they have 40 million U.S. Ish. subscribers. Yeah, that's good. It's around 50 percent, I think. Around 50. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then the last stat I saw for wow. globally is 118 million subscribers. Awesome. Now, why did you bring that clip? Because I thought y'all would have something to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> Good. All right, yeah, let's go with what an incredible stock that has been. And, well, and I mean, the similarities, as Tom was already drawing to, to Amazon, are interesting. I mean, obviously, they are different businesses, although, if you think about who's competing in streaming with original content right now, they feel like one and two uh, HBO should be included in that mix. But I mean, it's been it's fascinating to think that those two companies and those clips from so long ago, where we bought the stocks, got our members in, and have just held all the way through, which is maybe one of the most important points we'll make on this week's podcast, um, is it should never be forgotten. At our last uh, Motley Fool gathering in San Francisco, uh, I had the opportunity to interview Jeff Weiner, uh, the CEO of LinkedIn, uh, who's been a Motley Fool uh, f- follower. Uh, for 20 years now, and I asked him whether he thought Netflix was going to be larger than Disney, because I think we probably around the table all agree that we think it will be. I think it will be. And he said, absolutely, yes. And one of my big takeaways as an investor, because Jeff is a very active investor in his life, is that we should spend a certain amount of our investment time, research, and capital allocation to companies that we think could have hundreds of millions of paying customers or billions of users, given that we are connected like never before in history. So, it's, it's, it's maybe a factor that we underrate, Jeff said to me, um, the worldwide population. And he said, and the company that stands out there for me looking forward is Netflix. I think Netflix, Jeff said, could have an unbelievable number of, of subscribers do 10 you think, years from now. Do you think you're discounting Disney, though? I mean, I, 
I'm I've been wrong about Netflix for a long time. I own Netflix now, but early on, this is back. You know, at the time of this clip, Netflix was DVDs by mail. Listen, Disney and I thought is this is like company. Columbia House. I mean, it it felt Columbia House. You get a few free DVDs. Yeah, whatever. I've yes. got a perfectly good yeah, blockbuster. Seemed very down the fringe. Street. Very fringe. It's not going to happen. <laughs> okay, and then obviously they made the transition. Well, you remember Disney- Reed Reed Hastings on uh, in that interview, uh, maybe that interview or another interview, told us that he felt that Netflix. Uh, aspired and could become the largest media company in the world, which seems outrageous back then. And it's playing out now. And I don't have anything negative to say about Disney. It's just that they have so many other assets to manage and a lot of physical assets to manage that take time and don't have the same sort of growth rates. And Netflix is all digital, um, so much original programming, uh, very high margin model uh, where they're able to reinvest their cash flow. So, yeah, I think Netflix is going to be larger than Disney, and when they get there, I don't think they're going to turn back. I think Netflix will be a larger company than Disney ten years from now. Hmm. Okay, well, I want to. I love them all, but yeah, uh, and one you've, thing you've made money on. One them, thing that I'm so. wondering, Mac, is um, whether you're kind of a modern day Cassandra now. Cassandra, as you may remember from Greek myth, is this research? Was cursed. You brought research in. I think you we pre- all know this. But we're all part but of. You prepared to bring we're, this we're out, Mac. People. You were like, I'm waiting for this well, moment. Well, no, to this call is really not about Mac. Now, this was mainly me just getting to talk briefly about. Okay. Greek myths. I we'll remember Cassandra. She was the one who was cursed because she was cursed to make the right prediction, but no one would believe her. Mm. And I feel like maybe, Mac, you are a modern-day Cassandra. You are cursed to book CEOs who are so successful after you book them that they won't answer our calls anymore or come on our show. Like That's that. good. I like that. Is that is fair? It, is that a compliment? Mac Sandra? Are we just taking Mac off Sandra. in the quality of, of the deep vault right <laughs> yes. now? Because we've yeah. got Bezos and Hastings. I can't oh, wait to it's hear a what's lot coming deeper next. Down it there. must be just one unbelievable visionary CEO winner <laughs> after another. Yeah, I mean, there are more, but you know what? We're going to save some of those for the next installment some months hence when we do this again. We can't fire it all right now, but great. Mac, you gave us some Bezos, some Hastings. What do you got next? A wise man once told me, happiness equal reality divided by expectations. Yes, good. Thank you. Good math. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next up, let's let's pivot um, to Jay Walker. This is an interesting clip. Um, Jay Walker, actually, that's for our listeners to decide. I hate when people tell me that something's interesting or funny. You set the expectations high. I know that's ridiculous. Okay, this let me just fascinating. This may moment. or may not be this an interesting. May clip. or may not be to your liking. What I can tell you is that at the time of this interview, this is 2000. Jay Walker was the founder of Priceline. Mm-hmm. By the end of 2000, Jay Walker has left the board, has left Priceline, and Priceline is trading around a dollar a share. Mm. So they really got whacked. And now, of course, Priceline has been incredibly successful. But this is Priceline founder Jay Walker in 2000 talking about the future of the internet. When you look at companies like Yahoo on the net, I mean, I think you see a company that clearly gets it, that understands its scale, its value-added proposition, that understands its business model, that isn't, you know, the business model du jour, and is very focused on its own growth and, and meeting the expectations of its customers. And I think that's true in a fair number of areas. I think the big question of the Internet in e-commerce is really, is the future of, the, of e-commerce on the net really a future about, you know, trucks driving around the neighborhoods of America, you know, delivering delivering products, or is the future of e-commerce on the Internet really about using the net for its information capabilities, let's say, delivering prices instead of products, and thereby leveraging the brick-and-mortar equation that's already in place in the market? 
which is not to say it's an either-or proposition. It's not. I mean, obviously, there are going to be companies who are very successful on the net who deliver products, just like there are catalogs who are very successful in the real world. But I think the future of e-commerce is largely misunderstood as the old world replaced on the net. And that's just not the future of e-commerce. The, the future of e-commerce are truly new and innovative models that scale rapidly, that leverage information assets in whole new ways, and solve problems for both mm-hmm. buyers and sellers. Long-term Priceline shareholder. Uh, and these days, it's been renamed. Yeah. Jay Walker is no longer there, but it's Booking Holdings, mm-hmm. and it's been a tremendous winner. I, I'm wondering here again, do we have another hashtag Max Sandra situation? Mac, if you were to call up Jay Walker, do you think he would he would join us on one of our podcasts? I'm hoping so. I think I think he would and and I and I would have for me one of the first questions is please tell me you held your shares. Because I, th- this almost makes me sad because the the company that he described. I'm, I'm right. sure. I'm, don't you think he's doing? He's probably well, doing great. Well, let's let's be probably clear. So. He he has done very well. Yeah. I don't actually know his holdings. Just like I didn't even know Bezos's holdings really, Tom. And that was great. You brought that fact. I mean, to the show. Mac, how much but, money does a person need to be happy? You know, you're taking to a new. I mean, us to I a mean, new place. What you're, I think what you're saying is Jay Walker could have probably had billions and billions of dollars more than he does, and and you're saying that you feel that's deeply sad. I wouldn't say deeply sad. I I think that the entrepreneur who had this vision for this company that ended up becoming this incredible company, and who predicted the future at least in part, right, the information economy and all that. I think he should benefit from his. And creation. he did very well. In fact, I don't know if you guys have seen. I saw either a documentary, a clip that goes inside his house. I believe he lives in Connecticut, and I am looking this up. It's the Walker Library of the History of Human Imagination. It is a remarkable. Structure and a huge library. And Mac is trying to shrink him. No, I'm by just saying he, he. Do you guys remember those pictures? You're saying you're saying the kick. <laughs> that, I don't need to do the Kickstarter literally. campaign. No Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> do you guys remember the pictures by Escher of like paradoxical mazes? Like you're walking up one staircase and then you yep. flip over to the. That's the whole design of his Walker Library: The History of the Human Imagination, and it has priceless tomes. So anyway. Jay Walker's doing great, and he's become a cultural preserver. So, this is a great American. I would like to say, however, that I think the way history has played out has has not flowed in the direction of the conclusion from that statement that he made. And and I guess I'll, I'll associate ah. it with it. I, I believe this. I believe that we all underrate how much we love convenience as consumers. Really, how lazy we are. So, if you're telling right. me a truck will come by and drop it at my house, or where I can go walk six blocks and get it, yeah, he was off I'm, on that I'm, part. I'm, I'm going to get the truck, dropping it off. <laughs> I, I think I think I told John Mackey's on our board, uh, the Whole Foods founder, uh, that if Whole Foods provided a service where they would actually place the food in my mouth for me, I would look at the price tag. Oh my gosh! Is if, that they, if they would deliver the meal and they would actually, it would. Tom, just, you would yeah. like to be spoon fed? Is that the news you know, we're I mean, breaking yeah, on this show? It starts that way, it ends that way. Maybe well, I'm close to the end. <laughs> this clip reminds me a bit of um, something that Jeff Bezos said, and it's it's another clip. And so I want to I want to revisit just something Bezos said. If you look um, long term, clearly there are going to be some companies, some of the largest market cap companies in the world. Uh, you know, ten plus years from now, are going to be born of the internet. I think that you can uh, c- can predict that very confidently. But I think that trying to predict today which those are going to be is very difficult. Um, and in fact, if you look at the history 
of pioneers, and again, clearly I'm including Amazon.com in that group, uh, if you look over the past at, say, other revolutions, like the PC revolution and so on, the history of pioneers isn't always that good. I like what you're doing, Mac. You are almost hyperlinking from the Walker interview to the Bezos interview. You're creating the great conversation on this podcast, and you had Bezos speaking to Master. Jay Walker across time, and the puppet I think I think I think Tom Tom's right earlier when he said that Walker kind of didn't necessarily nail it. Actually, a lot of the things that we associate with the real world have been replaced with the internet. And Bezos's line about the biggest, best companies of our time being born right then—that that that was true. And I mean, to Walker's credit, he did say it's not either or. So right. I, I'm I'm sure he was investing in a way that that uh, that led to him finding a lot of those winners. Yeah. I will just say, since I'm sitting here on the Rule Breaker podcast, the number of these companies that showed up in Rule Breakers or the original Fool portfolio, David, is is incredible. Uh, obviously, there are some misses in there, but to have found the companies that you found and to have held them as long as you have, um, what are the next two or three of these over the next 15 years? We've talked about that on all the other shows this yeah. year. So there's 51 other weeks for you to listen okay, and get good. that answer, That's good. Tom. Good. But this week, a free stock we are living back Mac in the. So we could see if Mac <laughs> buys it 10 years from now. <laughs> Got it. Uh, Mac, now, you, when we talked about the show ahead of time, you said we're going to start with kind of a meteor course. Right. Then we're going to go with kind of a palate cleanser. Right. And that's and, that's where we are now. Okay. And then maybe to, to dessert or something Foodie. crazy near the guy the who need a pill. Lighten it up. So, I feel like we're meal. making a transition and therefore... Support for Rule Breaker Investing comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple. It allows you to fully understand all the details and be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. Thank you, Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. By the way, talking about founders and companies that are driven by visionaries, Dan Gilbert, who has steered Rocket Mortgage Quicken Loans into the province. They are the number one mortgage provider in the United States of America. They're ahead of Wells Fargo at this point. I got to see him speak a couple months ago here in Washington, D.C. Really great guy. I've mentioned him some on this podcast, but um, we're certainly fans of Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. And Quicken, there's another brand from back in those days that remains into it, relevant today. Maybe the Quicken product isn't as important. QuickBooks is more important, but this is another one of those, Tom, you and I talk about it all the time. You've got your everlasting portfolio at The Motley Fool. Buy and hold, baby. Hold on to these great companies and brands. He says and the as he holds his cup of Starbucks coffee. And you're right. <laughs> I am excited, Matt, because I've just cleansed my palate. Where are we headed next? Okay, well, we are going to lighten it up here a bit. Well, not lighten, but love and money. Big topic. And one of our favorite guests and over I, the years. I know where we're going. Yeah, you know where we're going. I think I could. Every Valentine's Day, I, I, I could guess perform. where we're going. I could perform this statement now, I think. I think you could. Yeah. Dr. Ruth would join us every Valentine's Day. Um, she, um, for people who don't know, Dr. Ruth was a long time and and is is still um, a sex therapist and can talk about love and relationships. Dr. Ruth and, Westheimer. Yep. And we asked her about money, and this was from a 2000 interview. If a relationship is a good one, then even if there are some worries about money, that should actually lead to intimacy to hugging and kissing, and to say to each other, look, 
I'm here for you. I'm here for you not only when you can buy me diamonds and champagne. Mm-hmm. I'm here for you also when uh, when there is some trouble. But Dr. Ruth, can you have good sex in a bear market? Yes. Okay. I needed to have the <laughs> definitive word. Yes. And you you have to make sure that you are not too tired. You have to make sure that you are not exhausted. Mm-hmm. And you also have to make sure that you help at home. Okay. Do the dishes. Uh, bring flowers. Oh, these all read like condemnations I, for me. Do something that is of interest to your partner. Okay, that is one of our, I think, one of our classic clips. Mac, that was pretty awesome. Uh, what I love about that is that Dr. Ruth did not even hesitate as I she asked doubled her, down. She doubled can you down. have good sex in Bear Market? Yeah. Yes! And then, yes again. Yes again! I wonder what's in Dr. Ruth's investment portfolio. I, I, I have a I'm feeling sure we'll she's a seer. I have a feeling she's a seer on, on across a number of industries. Yeah, mm. I think that's probably right. We asked her about it at one point. I remember she was pretty conservative. She mm-hmm. she did not like to lose money. Um, I remember that. Part. She wasn't willing to risk going through a bear market. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Now, Mac, was she our most frequent guest on the Motley Fool Radio Show back um, in the day? She was up there. I, I think John Bogle was probably mm. Jack, excellent. Jack Bogle was probably number one. Yep. Who was somebody who came on Elvira. never to be heard from again? Um, Just an example of the least frequent. Well, we had a number. It was brief, and a it number had to of, end. We had Stephanie Powers. We had Soupy mm-hmm. Sales. We had a number Kirk of Douglas. one and done. Um, but was so, Doctor Ruth an easy book? Like, would you call her? Yes. She's like, yes, Max, she let's go. She was I mean, Jeff Bezos wonderful. was an easy book for a couple of years there, right? Well, yeah, word out about Amazon. We've talked about hashtag Maxandra, yeah. a developing, That's, trending hashtag hey, yes. right now on Twitter. Hey, I mean, a lot of the stuff, as fact, we have found, a lot of the stuff that he said holds up still. So, you know, we've got that 2002 interview. Yeah. I, I, Are you I'm referring start- to Soupy Sales? <laughs> Soupy Sales, one and done. When I tried to book Soupy Sales and, and I was successful. Um, and will I, we be and, running a Soupy Sales clip? No, we won't. No. That we, will be for Blast I mean, can for I the share, Radio Can I share yes. what I remember yes. from that that yes. I loved? Was, and we, we should explain for Soupy people. Soupy had the most popular children's show, and it was yep. back with three channels. And so that means a tremendous millions and millions of children watching Soupy Sales. And he gave the advice to go into your dad's wallet and describe what it looked like or, or go into your mom's Mommy's purse, purse right? and look for anything green and put it in an envelope and send it to Soupy Sales. Send it to Soupy. At NBC Networks, you know, yada, yada, New York, New York. And uh, he got fired for it. Yeah, because, because like a million dollars in right. ones was thousands sent in. Thousands and thousands of dollars started pouring and, in. And then and he, was just he got joking. his job back. He did get his job back. You remember the popular dance of that show? <laughs> was it the chick? Not the chicken. No. It was the. Um... You know it really, Mac. Are you pretending? No, I'm, pre- I'm not pretending. Do you I remember? The name it was, no. It was, Help me. The mouse. The mouse. No, yes. I don't remember yeah. that. Yeah. Mac, anything like more that. you want to say about Dr. Ruth? So <laughs> she is timeless, and someone else who is timeless, and we're celebrating this year the 50th anniversary of his show. Um, there's a documentary this summer coming out about uh, him, yeah, and there's that a looks like it's movie be great. with Tom Hanks. I don't know why playing. you need to have a movie playing this guy. That's sacrilegious. I think Tom Minister. Hanks would play you in the Molly Fool movie, Mac. That, that's okay, but Tom Hanks look should like not Tom play Hanks Mr. Rogers, because right there's only one Mr. Rogers, <laughs> and I think that's sacrilege for anyone to play Mr. Rogers. Right. And I like I'm Tom so Hanks. glad you brought the Fred Rogers. Which one do you have? He's so quotable. Mac, can we roll it? This is from 2002. We've got two clips we're going to share. Um, and this is in the wake of Enron and a number of corporate scandals. Mm. Mm. And so that kind of sets up this question. 
And let's talk a little bit more about justice just briefly. Some of our listeners may not know that you're also an ordained Presbyterian minister. And as someone who's spent your life talking about values, living those values, what's your take on some of the scandals that have played out in corporate America over the last few years, speaking about not taking care of the people that we work with in many cases? Exactly. Well, what do you think it is that drives people to want far more than they could ever use or need? I frankly think it's insecurity. How do we let the world know that the trappings of this life are not the things that are ultimately important for being accepted? That's what I've tried to do all through the years with the neighborhood. You know, it's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like. The way you are right now, the way down deep inside you, not the things that hide you, not your fancy toys. They're just beside you. But it's you I like. Every part of you, your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new, I hope that you'll remember, even when you're feeling blue, that it's you I like, it's you yourself, it's you. I remember Buffett was asked about Ken Lay or Enron and things that had gone wrong in companies, and he said, I think that they lack gratitude because they had far more than they needed and they weren't thankful enough for it. So that seems to uh, integrate nicely with, with Mr. Rogers' comments. And I don't want to make light of this because that's such a beautiful expression, but it does convince me that we could probably lower your pay this year, Mac. Why? Now, why is that? Because it's you I like. <laughs> it's not the things you have. Well, it's, well, not, it's not the clothes you wear. Well, to your point, it's I'm not, not the car you drive, man. It's I'm your not hair. It's you I like. It's that you have hair. I'm not focused on <laughs> monetary like. compensation. I'm just grateful. Is that true? I'm grateful. I'm all about gratitude. So, I, one of the fun things in life is that, and I, I wouldn't say in any significant way, but Rick Engdahl behind the glass working on the Rule Breaker podcast is driven a little bit more by capital. And so, would you be willing to share some of your resources with Rick? A- absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, good. good. So, that's uh, Venmo. Now, Tom, this segment I've, of Re- Rule Breaker Podcast is brought to you by Venmo. <laughs> Tom, Let's I've got make a question for you. Did you hear your voice as we let in? Yeah, I think bit? I weigh more now. I, I was wondering. I mean, <laughs> I'm just guessing that I've I put on some weight. My since question: then. We can leave this rhetorical, but you know, who knew Tom was slurring drunk? Was I drunk I, then? Yeah, it, I think Rick, different. Can, can, just, really? Rick, sound, can we replay just, just the start of that clip, Rick? Just that one. Okay, more that's time. good. I think it's fair. I mean, inquiring minds. I think fair. Drunk. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about justice just briefly. Some of our listeners may not know that you're also an ordained Presbyterian minister. You can just cut it right there. I think we heard, yeah. all, heard all we needed to hear. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess maybe maybe uh, it was a night on the town. The night. No, well, I, I mean, it was, it, was Enron. it was a tough time for it all of us. It was hard times. Yeah, yeah and it that's was why it was times. so great, Mac, that you brought Fred Rogers to the microphone on the Molly Fool radio show. That is such a classic. I mean, obviously, that was one of his poems, I'm assuming. Uh, I'm pretty sure that wasn't off the cuff, but if it was, he's even more of a genius than I thought. But I'll say this. That serves as a wonderful trailer for this summer's 
Fred Rogers documentary. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't already watched that trailer online, it's incredible. bring a handkerchief with you as you watch the two-minuter that is up there because it's can't a believe beautiful. I got, can't believe I got drunk before interviewing. <laughs> yeah, Fred Rogers. Right. I mean, that is just uh, the legend grows. Childhood, everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to judge. All right, now, Mac, um, you said there's another Fred. There Rogers is another clip. Fred Rogers clip. This clip is is on our show. I think it's fair to say we were not afraid to ask the tough questions, mm. or or at least let me rephrase that: to mm. ask questions that other people weren't asking. Okay, <laughs> be they tough or not. So this is one of those questions for Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers, uh, since both Tom and I grew up watching your show, um, we're well aware of you as a persona. Uh, that's why I have to ask, is Fred Rogers Fred Rogers? My wife says it best. People say to her, is, is he really like that? And she said, what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether you sense that from our visit here today, but... Uh, I think the greatest gift that anybody can give anybody else, as a matter of fact, the only unique gift that anybody can give is his or her honest self. You know, nobody could give you, Dave, to anybody else. Nobody could give you, Tom, to anybody else. You're the only one who can give yourself to somebody else. All right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I feel bad doing this. <laughs> what, but where are you could taking we, us? Could we, could we go back to David asking the questions? Because when he, when, he <laughs> when he said persona, he sounded drunk to me. <laughs> sounded drunk. Mr. Rogers, uh, since both Tom and I grew up watching your show, um, we're well aware of you as a persona. All right. Do you, I mean, you read that? I, maybe. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Glass yeah. of wine. <laughs> now, I want to make it clear, since Rule Breaker Investing, and we take pride in this, I've mentioned mm. this before in the podcast, mm. has a clean lyrics stamp mm-hmm. on yes. iTunes. Yes, there is mm-hmm. no drinking I want everybody to know that we did not drink in and around the shows. Right. Well, this is a this. mere joke, I thought. You were saying, I, thought. I, I, I thought you were saying we had to bleep out one or two things that Fred Rogers said from that <laughs> No, absolutely not. <laughs> Pretty no. sure not As you can either. see, he was going in, in a direction that needed... Did you notice he said, what you see is what you get? That's what his wife said about mm-hmm. him. And I think we all know the acronym for that is WYSIWYG. And to think that Microsoft ripped that off as badly as they did and mm. never paid Fred Rogers mm. a dime for WYSIWYG. Wow. Shocker. And Good now point. you're attacking Microsoft. <laughs> Good point. I mean, <laughs> but it's true. He, he Microsoft's was... legal department is listening. That well, was I don't, David Gardner. I don't recall Gates or Balmer ever joining us in the Motley Fool radio show. So, I mean, mm. open season, right? Yeah, well, I'm just glad. I'm glad he was who he appeared to be. If you don't show up on the Rule Breaker podcast, your company is at risk. I'll say this. I love my Xbox. <laughs> What's our next clip? Okay, our next clip is um, one of our um, one of my favorite interviews that we've done. She was probably the first or one of the first country music superstars. Mm, one of my favorite interviews. Um, Loretta Lynn. And we're going to play a clip here where we had asked her. You're not going to hear the question, but we had basically asked her if she could have ever imagined as a coal miner's daughter growing up poor, if she could ever imagine the success she had. Well, you know, I was too little to ever think of that. I didn't dream that big. But Daddy had an old Phil Cole radio, and we'd turn it on on Saturday night and listen to the Grand Ole Opry. It didn't come in great, but it come in good enough that we could hear Ernest Tubb. And every time Ernest Tubb would sing, I would cry. And mommy would say, I'll turn it off, Lord, if you don't quit crying. <laughs> but I don't know why I'd cry when he'd sing, but I did. Mm-hmm. I really don't know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, later on, when I come to Nashville, 
Records asked Ernest Tubb, said, I'm going to record you as a female artist. Who do you want to sing with? Wow. And Ernest Tubb said, do you know that little girl singer that just comes to town? They said, yes. And he said, I want to sing with her. One of the great country music couples, Loretta Lynn and Johnny Cash. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I love that movie. I thought that was a great movie, Walk the Line, and it was great. No, Loretta Lynn, also, I remember that she said in that interview. Coal Miner's Daughter. I remember that she said in that interview, uh, something along, we were asking about her investing and what money meant to her in life. and It was something along the lines of, like, if there is a haystack I can lay down in, Yep. if I got a small meal on a table. Warm bed, hot meal. And the the people I love are right there. That's all I need. That's it. Yeah, she, she was incredible. Easy to book, Mac. Hard. Mm. Where? What was it like? The, you know the meta game, the behind the scenes for so many of these. Tom mm-hmm. and I were just the talent. We would just uh, show up in the How much value microphone. were you creating? Uh, was this easy? I think that was. I I don't remember that one, but that was one of our. That was that was a. I really enjoyed that interview. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I earned my keep for that one interview at least. But this is all just a reminder of. I'm going to say it again, the guys. Motley. A deep vault of mm. audio gold that we will be mining on behalf of our listeners. At various points in the coming months, who and owns year. the IP? Is that Max? That vault? Does Mac own the IP of all our radio? Um, Is there I, a contract I think, I think that it's, it's the Motley Fool. We we own it. We own it all. Collective. Just checking, just checking if Mac could work something behind the scenes over the years. Mac, what do you got for us next? And in fact, how many more do we have here? We have uh, three more clips. Another company that that um, well didn't turn out too well. Planet Hollywood, and we had mm. Ben Stein on the mm. show several times. Oh um, yeah, star of Ferris Bueller's, and we asked and ben, win Ben Stein's money exactly. Yeah, and we asked Ben Stein um, about Planet Hollywood. Mm. Ben, where were you with Planet Hollywood? Were you part of the Van you know, Damme Sly Stallone team? Planet Hollywood was <laughs> was not a, a solvent or well run company. Hard Rock Cafe was run by Peter Morton, who's one of the geniuses. Of uh, hospitality in this con- in this country, he now owns the Hard Rock Casino. Quiet, you fool! I'm on the phone. <laughs> That's my assistant. She's having a. Quiet! I'm being interviewed on the phone by some very important people. You fool! This is my my assistant, and it's interesting that she walked in at this moment because her husband is a big stock market plunger, and he got me to put a whole bunch of money into a into a lot of uh, high-tech funds where, where I lost an astonishing <laughs> amount of money. And I lost an astonishing amount of money this spring. That is just too great. It's not sometimes the interview itself. It's the stuff that happens around the interview. Mm. Yeah. Always winning. Ben so- Stein, graduate of Yale Law School. He was the valedictorian of yep. his class, and he also won an Emmy for win Ben Stein's money. So yep. this is a very accomplished gentleman. He Ben these days is clocking in at about 73 years old. I'm sure hearty and healthy, I sure hope. And uh, he was a fun return repeat guest on the Motley Fool Radio show. I'm thinking maybe Ben's another guy we should have back. He's a fool. Yes, indeed. Okay, Mac, I've lost count. How many clips do we have left? One. All right. In that case, wait, is this the big one? Um this is this is a a High-profile person. <laughs> All right. In other words, I should definitely listen to David's ad read for the thirty seconds or so because what comes after this is well worth it. Is is someone that everyone is familiar with? All right. Good. Thanks to Slack for supporting the Motley Fool. Slack is a collaboration hub that lets you organize your team's work in easily searchable channels. So whether it's projects or interests, teams 
or by office. All the right people are always in the loop. Relevant information is in one place, and new team members can easily get up to speed. Slack allows you to organize your team with real-time messaging, video, or voice calls. I did both of those on Slack in the last week. Group file sharing, you betcha, and searchable archives all in one easy-to-use app. No more searching through emails for that one follow-up searching through multiple systems to find what you're looking for. Slack, it's where work happens. We use it every day at The Motley Fool. It's been a blessing for many years now. Learn more at slack.com. That's slack.com. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I'm addicted to Slack. You can say that. You can say that. Yeah. What a great tool. I take notes in Slack. I have my own Slack channel. Hey, Mac, you've you've never slacked me. Have you? That, wow. No, no, no. That's true. I slack you all the time. I'm, I'm really glad that I had this podcast and brought you guys together because yeah. I, th- I yeah. still see there's a yeah. lot of reconciliation that there is, is a lot I of think happening or still needs to happen. I slacked you this last week. Special. I think there's a lot of work we can do in the years ahead. <laughs> Mac, how long have you worked at the Fool? I have worked uh, 19, almost 20, 20 in April, 20 in August. How incredibly fortunate are we <laughs> yeah. to have? Someone like Mac Greer at the Motley Fool for 20 years. Oh, that, oh. Is, that is very nice. Gratitude. That, does true. that mean you're not going to pay me as much? Because gratitude. We've already resolved is... that earlier in the show. <laughs> and I Rick, like, Rick has I a like, big smile on his face. <laughs> I like the things you do. I like the clothes you wear. I like the cars you drive. And no, I just like you for you, Mac. Thank you. I like that. Um, so, yeah, I started in 98. And in 1999, on our then AM radio show, we interviewed a, um, what I would call a, a this is like Louis Tiant. Successful, lined up, I can see yeah, this. successful real estate developer who you know mm. very active in mm-hmm. Manhattan, um, becoming a more admit, of a television I personality. Literally forgotten that we had interviewed this particular person. We had. And I'm so glad you went deep. I did go into deep. the wide and deep vault of audio gold. And there's a backstory to our then interview with Donald Trump, and it was that the stock was a short, correct? Mm. Indeed, yes. And it's something that I've covered before on this podcast, and I Own the Water. You can go back and Google it. Probably one of my more enjoyable episodes to put together where I told the story of us shorting the Donald. But Mac, I truly had forgotten that we had him on the radio show Mm. a year or two later. I had too. I think we had John McCain on a number of times, and it would be an incredible Rule Breaker podcast later this summer to have the President and Senator McCain on. Dick Cheney. At the same time. That would be a doozy. That's And Elvira. And Elvira, <laughs> the mistress of the like dark, it. definitely made multiple. Can you remember anything that Elvira said? Because she did make a number of appearances. I mean, that is going to be coming probably blast okay, from the radio yeah. past volume. I, I think two. I recall that she was an incredibly shrewd business person. Yes, nice. She knew what she was doing all the way through in a beautiful, very foolish and fun way. So she, I she bought the rights to that back. character. I can't believe that that wasn't part of today's. I know, but, me, but that I'm, just shows how much there is. I'm I'm disappointed in myself. No, I, but I appreciate your gratitude. Mac, actually, okay. half an hour before we taped, he said, I've, "Guys, I've got it down to 26 clips. I know we need to get it down to about he was half crying. that." By the way, he was crying when he said <laughs> that. It's, it's tough. His he glasses were at an angle. Time. He like, really has, you know, and like, we appreciate which, that. Which Mac. kid do you love the most? All right, so let's hear the clip. Okay, so this is um, our interview with um, Donald Trump from 1999. Okay, in closing, one thing that we try to do here at The Motley Fool is educate young people about money. Now, you have a daughter, Ivanka, who we believe is a fan of The Motley Fool. That is true. Okay. What is the single biggest lesson about money that you've tried to teach your daughter? And, uh, and one quick follow-up after that. Since my brother Tom is single, any chance you could set Tom up with Ivanka? Well, I don't know if I could trust Tom with her, but I will tell you she is a big fan uh, of, of Motley Crue. And the reason I called you originally a few months ago, because you guys were killing me, and nobody was talking about it, my daughter and her friends. 
So that means you have a young, bright audience, and I had to straighten that out because I couldn't let my my daughter hear how, how dumb I was, all right? <laughs> um, but uh, I think what I'd really like to tell Ivanka is to be very conservative. Uh, you know, fortunately, she's in a position where she doesn't have to be a wild risk taker, as I really had to be when I was building up this company. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to see her and my other children, for that matter, be very conservative. And I'm sure that your brother, Tom, would make a wonderful candidate for Ivanka, but maybe we should wait a couple of years. <laughs> okay, I think that's probably really good advice. She's, she's well out of my league, Donald. Maybe I apologize it. for my brother. <laughs> and that, that is a pretty great clip. And in fact, Tom, wanted to bring that one out just briefly to celebrate, because, Tom, you were turning... 50 this Five week. Zero. You're keeping it really low, low profile, and this is just a small thing on this podcast. But uh, I asked Mac to go back and grab a fun Tom Gardner clip, That's a good and one. you've got our president talking about Ivanka and you. I mean, but seriously, thank you for not just being 50 I'm glad years I was of a born. great brother. I'm glad I was born. But uh, in this week's context, thank you for being such a wonderful co-host for all those years, and of course, co-partner in our business. How many today. years of radio programming did we do, Mac? Seven. Yeah, seven three on the AM, four on NPR. So if you if you do the math, and that's you know. Then we had the PBS three hundred special show. together. Yeah, that the we money making, life changing special. What, what was this? What, in your opinion, was the single lowest moment for us as a team? Like, where? What? What did we get through? Like tough times, hard times. We're on the road somewhere. Or the right way to answer wrong. this is, guys. I can't talk about the lowest, but I'll talk about the thirty seventh lowest moment. I could. Show. Uh, we yeah, we had we had some <laughs> we had some. Shows Sometimes. and interviews that didn't always work. There was some brotherly discord. There was some discord mm-hmm. with your producer. There were some times where Dave and I would be arguing. I remember this, and one it's of true. us would just go silent for like seven minutes on the show. And it was a live show. <laughs> I mean, you I know, would, you're yeah. there with your bro. Yeah, yeah, it's hey, true. You're I working respect. through things. Yeah, you betcha. Yeah, look. It's true. But, 25 years. Yeah, but, but we just had Dan Heath speak here, and he mm. talked about that, that concept of peak moments, and that's really what you hold on to. And that's what I hold on to. When you think of all these interviews, <laughs> then I forget that we ever interviewed Kenny Baker or Vern Troyer. I mean, forgotten. I didn't, don't even Stephanie mm, Powers. Stephanie Powers had totally forgotten. These don't will tell come me. totally forgotten. <laughs> these will come back, uh, my dear listeners. If you've enjoyed this week's Zany Show, please know that this was blast from the Radio Pass Volume One. If you want to request at some point, maybe late this summer. Guys, and bring out volume two. And if you really want it to be two. a couple of years from now, we <laughs> would also true. understand. Let us know, rbifool.com, or you can talk about it in, in this month's mailbag. But uh, this has been a long show, but it's been a long and lovely show. And I want to thank, most of all, Matt Greer, who dived in, went through hours of clips to come at the one. Yeah, I mean, to say nothing of the shows themselves, the but shows. just the work he put in the last two weeks to make this possible. Mac, thank you very much. And Tom Gardner, my brother. Happy 50th birthday this upcoming week. You rock, and it was so much fun to do this with you. Great stuff. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you, Mac. All right, that closes out this week's show. Next week, I'm going to either and or review five stocks picked on the show a year or two ago and or pick five new ones as a sampler coming to Rule Breaker Investing next week. In the meantime, thanks for joining with us. Fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.